What's up, Drew? Hey. Melody's not here because she has a life and is off doing <laughs> things that are required of her job. That's got to be nice. <laughs> so today we thought we'd talk about persistence. And this has a particular meaning, I think, if you talk to maybe guidance counselors or people who are interested in persistence in college, in which case they mean students staying in college and continuing through and, and graduating. However, for you and I, I think this really, we're getting at something slightly different. And more what I'm thinking about is in terms of how does a, a student kind of persist in asking or seeking out sort of the help that they need? Yeah, beyond the first request, right? Yeah, beyond the first request or beyond the first notice that something was wrong, sort of sticking with that, you know, sitting in that mode of asking for help. And I thought, and please enlighten me, that the, the mechanisms by which students ask or receive help are changing as they move through their school career and that it might be the case that the mechanisms by which they are getting help in high school might be very different than the mechanisms by which they need to get help in college. As far as I think most high schools don't have the writing center necessarily versus every college I've attended has had a, hey, this is the writing center. Here's our hours. Drop in, bring your paper kind of resource that professors are not necessarily, you know, they're saying, hey, if you need help, go to the writing center. And that's that's the mention of, of support at the, at the opening and in the syllabus. And students are kind of, you know, they're 18, they're 19, they're 20. You're on your own to go seek it out right yeah by appointment versus by being called in yeah yeah so and i have you know i think you're right at high school we have our our department meetings we talk about hey here's our list of students with d's and f's and we even look down to the level of uh, this was the most recent test in the department on you know quadratics and everybody missed the factoring question how do we intervene d's and f's on on factoring quadratics mm-hmm. so it's it's our kind of our mandate from from the principal uh and from the school board to turn around and say look kids are failing how do we seek them out call them in provide an intervention at saturday school or at a tutorial period or at in class sometimes if it's enough people we'll do a whole class and reteach and do whatever so that, that sort of directive is coming from from the administration. It's basically coming from your boss to say, please, or maybe not so please, identify you know, students, uh, areas that students as a you know, larger population are having difficulty and then active on your own from the teacher standpoint, find ways to intervene. So, that, so if I'm a student, I, I'm just going about my business and oh, I didn't do well in that exam and then all of a sudden a review thing will pop up and I will be told about it by my teacher and then sort of strongly encouraged yeah. to attend? You know, I think it's different in each school for sure, but like we have a communication system or a learning management system, if you want to call it. I guess that's what it is. And that's one of the items we use where I will email my entire third period math class. Hey guys, we're doing a Super Saturday school 8 to 12 please sign up I'll email the parents because the parents will make their kids sign up if they are aware of the grade 
and hey, you want to study quadratics, you want to study for finals. So I have to pitch this, I have to sell it like a used car salesman. And, What's it going to take to get you give in? Give away my Saturday to get the, But anyway, that's a different story. So it gets communicated in that fashion of, of either using reminds, the text reminders, or mm-hmm. school loop emails, or, or what have you, system. Some, some of my teachers have it on Google Classroom where they'll shoot an email and say, hey, we're doing this, this, and this. Uh, and we have a tutorial period at my campus that we, you know, we can call kids out of whatever their scheduled tutorial is and bring them to my room to do, mm-hmm. uh, hey, let's work on fractions, let's work on quadratics, whatever. So do they, so, how much do they need to sort of push forward with themselves? Yeah, the question is, are, who is the actor in this? It's, it's all, it's mostly us. Mm-hmm. The teachers. I mean, it's mostly the teachers saying, "Here's my list of D's and F's. You've got a zero on the on the last test on your on the problem about quadratics. Come in and make up the quadratics." So, certain students, we could just say, "Hey, you need to come in." Mm-hmm. And if they don't come in, then they carry the zero. And there's other students, depending on their parents or depending on if they have an IEP or a 504 plan or an English language learner or whatever other you know group they fit into where we have to say, you need to come in. I'm writing you a pass. Here's the pass. It's for tomorrow. So you know, so I really do. This morning, I wrote a pass for a test makeup this morning and had a TA deliver it to the student in class the hour before tutorial so that she would remember to come because yeah. her mom is emailing me and giving me phone calls about her math grade. So, so you know, guys, I guess depending on the, as you say, sort of the, circumstances of the of that student they may have a lot of I think what we would call scaffolding or support in going to and making those appointments you know, I think, you know my department my math department I'm speaking about math because that's what I'm doing this year sure. mostly is really trying to make it more obvious and reflective for the student we have put in place a little uh, kind of daily like hey we just did a quadratics quiz and I scored a two out of four on the rubric that's a C Maybe I should retake that one. And so we've, we're having them write down their own scores and take a look. Oh, I got a four on completing the square. I really know how to do that. I'm strong. Good. I don't have to study that today. Mm-hmm. You know, and be kind of more self-evaluative because, you know, as teachers, we're the department lets everybody kind of retake quite a bit. But it's also become overwhelming where kids are walking into the very first test, like, this week was our first test, and there were kids walking in saying, I'm not going to do well. Can I retake the entire test on Monday? Like, oh, that's not how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to study before, not after. Well, you know how math class works. Majority material is stuff from previous chapters. The majority of the test was review material from December's final, which, by the way, you got a B-plus on. So how do you not know this? So anyway, anyway, we're trying to make it more, uh, I think we're trying to use methods to make it more obvious to the student what they are doing and, you know, give them their own self-feedback on, hey, my studying worked, my studying didn't work. Mm-hmm. I need to come in, I need to get help, whatever. And so do you find, I guess, I'm sort of tempted to sort of dig into how well this is working, but that's probably, that's not really our... <laughs> <laughs> really our point for the, yeah, for the podcast. No, no, no. I mean, that, that's really it's, it's interesting, fascinating. And I think it gets at kind of the thing which is the big transition from high school to college for most m- most students, myself included, right? And we've discussed how, like, we and Melody are not the average student. 
this is not necessarily typical. <laughs> right. I mean, just by virtue of where we've ended up. Uh, and I don't think that's that's not meant as a brag. That's just meant no. As I mean, a, like, if, it just I, if I, I went through my you know situation and my recall and recollection of high school and college, I don't think it would apply to a big number of my current students. Right, yeah. And that's okay. I don't I mean, it's not an evaluative thing. It's just kind of a, if I went by my view, I would be off. I would be biased. Right. One of the things that I found difficult with college was, I mean, I think we've talked about time management, but it's also just all of the things that have to go with sort of what Melody and I will, between ourselves, call adulting. <laughs> like, I, I adulted well today. You know, or, or something, or you know, the student is having trouble adulting, and it's it's not just that time management, but it's also sort of that keeping keeping up with it makes it sound like you've got to get out ahead of it, and and ideally, yes, you do, but there's also this aspect of when you come and well, asking for help when you need it, sort of that. I think it's great that what what your department is is moving towards with that trying to make it reflective for the student. How well did I do on this? You know, is this something that I need help with or is this something I'm strong on? And then the next step comes in, once I realize I'm not strong on something, what is my next step? And in my experience, so many of my students seem to have this idea that they don't want me to know they're struggling. I mean, guess what, I do. <laughs> I grade the quizzes, I grade the homework, I grade the exams, I grade the lab. I, I, I personally grade everything my students do because I'm in a small college. By the way, terrible, terrible idea, but go ahead. Grading everything my students do? Yeah, it's like an awful idea. I mean, well, you I mean, don't have to do that. That's a different podcast, but you don't have to do that. I mean, I don't. Okay, so I grade the things that I have said that they need to, need to be graded. Well, you know. fair enough. That's okay. Every, everything on my syllabus that has a grade attached, I'm the one who grades it. So it's not a TA for me. I see. That makes sense. That's, so, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Like, yes, I'm not... <laughs> I'm every five minutes in class. I'm grading. You cannot hide from me or your TA in a bigger class. Whether you're struggling, we know. We know from week two. Right. And, you know, I think what you're describing here, too, is uh, what researchers or, you know, the buzzword was a while back was resilience. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the ability to, like, uh, if somebody was giving slack, like to use the slack and, and have that bounce back of, of hey, I, I, you know, I came in, I asked for help and I didn't get it. Now what? Do yeah. I have the idea that, do I have any idea what to do or am I just stumped and I'm done? Or do I say, hey, I didn't, I came in for help, I didn't get it. So I know it's not the professor's fault because I came in. I'm not going to blame him, but can I come in and ask again? Or am I just finished and I'm out of tools in the toolbox and I, now I'm just going to take an F? I yeah. had a kid tell me on Friday, I'll just take an L. Like she, you know, it's I, I'm going to take an L on the on the win loss record. Oh, okay. Yes, I've started to run into students saying this. Take a W. It's, it's a some song. I'm anyway. going to give you the W. They got to take the L or whatever. Okay, sure. <laughs> some song, but anyway, the point is like this is the wrong attitude coming in, right? Which right. is like, I mean, you know, I'm going to ask for help, and then I'm you know when it doesn't make sense, I'm going to ask for different help or or, or, find or ask for the same oh yeah ask, ask I mean the most basic is to ask the same person for the same help and that is fine <laughs> so I have I've had students who have come in and asked for help on the homework like is basically a standing appointment <laughs> you know two day yeah. day before the homework is due you know f- uh, four o'clock they're they're going to be 
in my office asking for help on the homework. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the... It's a little tedious, time-consuming, but wouldn't that be great if more students were closer to that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly there are times when I am tired and I am a little worn out, and I'm a human being, so I'm sure there are times when my students are all like, okay, he's getting fed up with me. Uh, and I really try to avoid that because I, I really feel bad if I think, if I really, I, I feel bad if I think I'm doing that. I, I would feel really bad if a student felt that I didn't want them to come in. It's my job. You know, it's part of what I do if, for your right, TAs. Right. It's, it's their job, and don't let them tell you otherwise. They may... Yeah, majority of us in the, in, the, in the field are, you know, we know that's part of our job, and we, you know, like it or, or fake tolerate it. I don't know. And, uh, no, we really do like helping kids and watching the light bulb go on. That's really what mm-hmm. one of the big things I'm here for is watching the light bulb turn on and watching you walk across the stage and get your diploma. I love that part. Yeah, that's great. I mean, one of the yeah. things, advice for, for students who are working, who are going or will be going in to larger universities where they're going to be dealing primarily with their TA is is much more likely for your TA to not be engaged with the instruction because they are literally there not to be a TA. They're literally there to do their graduate work. So research or theory or whatever it happens to be that they're doing. But don't let them get away with it. I mean, they're getting paid. Like, they're having their tuition waived. They're, they're wow, not nice. needing... Usually, yeah, if you're a TA, you don't, you're not paying tuition in grad school. And well, we so... Didn't cover that. We could cover that in a different episode. Yeah, we could talk about grad school. Uh, different population. Talking to a different population. But it's, I mean, it's thousands of dollars a year. They can do some work. Well, you know, I don't know. My grad assistants in, in music school were seriously trying to teach me how to play trumpet because they were trying to learn how to be trumpet professors. So they were trying hard with us. Now, that's a professional program. I think it's different maybe than some fields. but Yeah, I mean, and it's different for, for individuals as well. I mean, you could have somebody who really means well but has, a, especially in physics, a language barrier. They could be an international student who does not have super strong English and may have a very different culture in how instruction works, but that still doesn't mean that you can't kind of hold their feet to the fire, and if they refuse to teach you, to help you, to do their honest best, then you know, go to the professor, go to the uh, department chair. Right? There are, there's certainly on grad students, there are levers you can pull. As an undergraduate, you have power no, I, over that particular aspect. I think it's safe to say that you know, majority of students who get into first year of college realize that one of the tools in the box is ask the professor or go to go to uh what do you call it um office Office hours Mm -hmm. but how many of them realize that after that tool doesn't work what's next do i can i go to the writing lab center can i go to this person ever can i ask again a different way can i is it okay to ask hey i didn't understand when you told me because maybe that seems insulting you know what i mean like yeah there's a second there's a follow-up. You don't just stop after one round. Yeah, I, mean, I think they, my impression, or at least certainly my impression from when I was an undergraduate, professors are intimidating. <laughs> Some of the, the, the chair of the, my department was, while I was there, was Lawrence Krauss, who was the best-selling nonfiction science writer. He wrote the physics of Star Trek and stuff. So he was a big name, had an ego, right? And so, but... I didn't deal with him a whole lot, but this, there was this, still this sense of, like, these are prof- these professors. They're, like, 
kind of important. They're busy and they don't want to talk to me. And I don't, I want to just kind of stay out of their way. It's like, it's, you feel like you're in high school and, and they're like the, the, the jocks or something, right? And you just don't want to get in their way because no, you don't know what's going to happen. I went, I went to the bathroom once and, and I had one trumpet professor on one side and the other trumpet professor on the other side of me. And like, I, I walked in first and they followed me in and I was like, I guess I'll go later. <laughs> There's another bathroom upstairs. Yeah. Goodbye. Too intimidating. Can't, uh, yeah, the performance tough. anxiety for your trumpets professors. Seriously, it was, they were, you know, anyway. But yeah, I mean. You could edit that story out. <laughs> it's important details. I guess the thing that I want students to understand is that even if you don't have another plan, going with the same thing and trying it again is not bad. And that office hours are there for us to answer student questions. When you have to like kind of self-talk yourself back into it and realize, you know, this is a topic we're about to talk about in another episode of, hey, I did, I am paying, and maybe I'm not paying the way I think I am, but I did shell out some cash, so I really ought to go seek out some help and make, and, and at least my half of student effort is is out there so I'm not failing. Yeah, I mean, certainly as the way we've talked about it is, you know, we see it as students paying for the privilege of access to us. And that that is absolutely true of whatever institution you're at. And certainly if... if Come ask for access, like part of the access is the conversation of asking for help. Yeah, is asking for help or if you don't understand, politely, I don't understand what you just said. I don't understand that. You know. Maybe not. Like, I don't think you expect anybody to do that necessarily in the middle of class, or, or did they do that in class? I, I mean, I'll ask them what they don't understand. So at some level, I would love them to come in. My class is much more interactive, much more of a seminar than in a, as a lecture. Yeah. <laughs> but at an office hour, like that's totally the appropriate thing to do. Is like your professor explains is like. I don't understand that way. Could you explain it another way? That is a super valid question. There's nothing wrong with that question. Even if they look frustrated, that's not on you. That's on them. You know, this is part of what their office hours is. And if and if they're having difficulty, then I think I they just, need to get help. For myself, I want to remind you know my, myself that this is kind of a, this is a difference between high school where I'm not going to wait necessarily as a student until professor or the teacher calls me in where I mm-hmm. where I could I kind of in high school you can you can wait until May and when somebody calls you in and says well you got five credits on the line what are we going to do and the teacher's going to make a deal and say you need to do these five assignments to get your D minus mm-hmm. for your credit versus college where that's just that's just straight not going to happen and yeah you know yeah you're going to have to step in in February and kind of say hey I'm not understanding this what can I do to study Right, that, yeah, that we talked about these sort of moving up your deadline of when do you need to worry about it? And or even like, I guess is one thing that we haven't mentioned here is as far as a support network is getting a study group with other students. I think I was a third year in, in college before I was like, oh, hey, there's a study group at the library. I'm going. Yeah, yeah, I think it was maybe second or second or third year. Certainly it was like in full swing for my junior year and my third year. It was like everybody was passing these classes i'm like how come i have to fail and retake a class every semester and these guys just are just whipping through oh they're studying they have a group of six people 
they sit around and they pass notes and they and they ask each other questions and they do a legitimate study group thing and that's yeah you know, yeah dirty smart guys that's just regular people yeah i mean so they seem really smart because you're not seeing the time they're spending you know an hour or two a week in the study group yeah. and so it's not to say like your friends are experts it's to say the professor is an expert and their time is limited and you ask and you ask again and you ask a third time and you go to the grad assistant and you get a study group yeah well i mean Study groups are really good in terms of people who are closer to your level of understanding being able to explain things in ways that will that are likely to make more sense, especially yeah, for like, people who are non-majors in that subject. This is valuable. Your peers are valuable <laughs> to you as a source of understanding. You know, and just that it's not one and done. You know, you, you ask for help, you get that help. For struggling learners, at least in high school, and I'm thinking specifically of like Algebra 1 freshman classes where this concept of if I don't know the answer falling out of the sky onto my head, then I don't know it and I'm stupid. Yeah, this is something I, I deal with with my students as well. Is like you know, we learn when we struggle. You have to work through it. If you, if you knew it, you wouldn't be taking this class. You'd be teaching this class. Test it out, yeah. yeah. Or, <laughs> you know, and so... It's not going to be, I tell it to you once and you're like, oh, I get it. Oh, maybe it is. And fantastic. Great. Good. I'm, I'm super, super psyched about that. But more likely it is, I explain something. It doesn't quite fit. You got to actually go back on your own and work it through. This cognitive psychology is basically backs this up. Like you have to work it through yourself. If I do it all for you, then you don't ever actually learn it. That you, it's just sort of not processed. It's like, it's like an athlete. If I, if I, you know, here's how to shoot a free throw, right? And then if I tell it to you, I don't know how, but if I did, you know, then you'd be like, okay, I get what you're saying. But that's different than actually standing on the line and trying to shoot the free throw in the way that, you know, the coach tells you. And so you have to practice that. And all that lives up in your head. That's all neuron connections. Like the power comes from your arms, but the actual precision and practice comes from your brain. That analogy has been brought to me from my administration for the last like three years of like, hey, you, when you go to practice, you practice top notch. And then performance is the big game is is a Friday night football game. And you have to be at practice to play on the field. You know, and this analogy works great with the athletes. But at the same time, some of the students are like, oh, it's practice. Oh, I get to retake it. <laughs> Like it doesn't count, right? And and but when you hand them a final and suddenly it's it's real, they're like, well, I sit there and I copied the notes down during lecture, and I said, yeah, I get quadratics, factoring, and completing the square look exactly the same. And halfway through they do, but the other half they don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, yeah, there are there oh are connections. God, and so they've sat there and like said the words in their head, but, but you had to do never the thing. Tossed a free throw to. to kill our metaphor they, right. you know they they actually performed it because or the, played the like, music or practiced the art <laughs> you know like that you got to do the thing you got to do the actual action that you're supposedly learning so you know whatever right. this whatever your students do in their spare time something that they've learned to do well play the piano you know play a sport because the athletes know that like it's not the game is not a do-over the you, game you know, the score right, is recorded Field. Right. I mean, you, your musicians know that the concert is not is not a practice. The concert is is the performance. You know. Right. But you also have to have 
not just studied and have knowledge and, and, you know, be able to kind of do things on the fly. You have to have a, a facility of knowledge with the content base yes. that you're working math, English, science, whatever, a facility in the content base so that you can study properly and categorize these topics in your mind. Is that called a schema? Yeah, I, I think so. Remember. Or a um, concept map. You have to have it. You can't walk in and say, I'm going to just take this final in June after having slept through. I was there and I took notes, but I didn't really cogitate on it. Yeah, yeah. Crush this final because I feel good about it. No, no, no. You, you, you have to have, even if it's piano performance, I have to have done the mental training and the physical training and the understanding of what this what this piece was meant to give to the audience and, and how I'm going to interpret it and those things that right. this, this context of the content lecture done there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and part of that and getting back to sort of when we're talking about what we were discussing in terms of persistence is that that process of going through those, that practice is not a process of read the notes, think about it in a chair for a while, decide that you understand what they're saying and move on. It's a process of read the notes, find a problem which you have not worked before. If whatever type it is, you know, writing an essay, doing a math problem, whatever it happens to be, and do it. And probably do it poorly the first time or the first few times. And that's okay. That's expected. That's normal. And to ask for help, I did this poorly. How can I do this better? And then do it again and do it again and do it again. That persistence or perseverance or resilience or whatever, you know, word we want to call it today is the quality that that employers are looking for too because, you know, I I tell my students like, no, I'm not going to see you write, you know, negative B plus or minus square root of B squared minus 4AC all over 2A. You're not going to write that at your job, but you are going to walk in and say, this is, you know, Microsoft Office 2013. Excel spreadsheet, I need to know what these actuary tables and the formula for for counting the frequency of this data and shoot, where do I look it up? I, I don't know even what to type in the help box yet. So you are going to have to have this, this toolbox for getting help so that you can get the learning curve at your career, at your job, so that you'll get better. And that's a reflective practitioner of any job that's getting better and better and the boss says, ah, that's the guy I want as assistant manager. Right. Yeah. That practice of asking for help in everything that you do turns it into a habit. And that habit for asking for help is what allows you to get better at your job and therefore get paid more. If you're in the habit of not asking for help and keeping your head down and making sure nobody notices you, that's a habit that you take from school into your job. And then you don't ask for help. You don't do good work. You don't do better. You stick with that job. That works great if you already know everything and you don't need to get better. Right. But how many people that how many people zero is that? nobody that's, that's, nobody knows everything they they need to know not even the super smart people in fact at the beginning of the year i showed the video of michael jordan's shoe commercial where he says i missed three thousand free throws game winning shots blah blah blah. he in his own voice tells all of the failure stats mm-hmm. for himself and then he says but i didn't stop right i didn't stop trying and that's why i'm great right exactly and had a discussion about you know algebra for my kids who are taking it the second year in a row yeah you don't I mean you don't have to be Michael Jordan he probably had a lot of innate talent but you don't have to be just automatically wake up 
be born and be fantastic at something, you can learn to be better at something. So that's yeah, really that's, the takeaway, students yeah, <laughs> and listeners. My, is, I think my professor kept telling me, don't wait for it to fall into your lap. Go out and find it. Yeah, go, go out and find it. Find, find help. Ask for help. If you don't know where to get help, ask where to get help. <laughs> that's also like, this didn't, I don't understand. Can you point me some other place to look for help? You know, ask yeah. people where to go ask for help. <laughs> Always the asking. And that's going to serve you really, really well in high school and in college and in life. All right. Drew, I think you have to go. Well, thanks Off for. We go till next week. Yes, yeah, right. Okay, listeners, if you want to send me a question, you can reach me at on Twitter at Dr. Highland. I'm at Andrew Highland. And if you want to send us an email with something a little longer than a tweet, then you can get us at peter.o.highland, H Y L A N D, at gmail.com. All right, until next week. Bye. Bye.